Well, we are glad that you're with us, and we are starting a new sermon series today, and it's called Jesus in the Storm. And uh, really, it wasn't the plan. We were planning on uh, moving ahead and finishing up the book of Ephesians and uh, the spiritual warfare series uh, there. And I'm sure some of you True Life folks are having some Ephesians withdrawals right now, but you're going to have to wait uh, a little bit longer. We felt like that it was best to speak into this moment and in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, there's also mental health, spiritual, emotional uh, needs, issues, problems. And so we feel like that there needs to be some spiritual triage, so to speak, that's going to speak to that. And we want to look at uh, storms that we experience in our life and who Jesus is and how he can minister to us in those times. So for a moment with me, if you would, can you kind of just think back and, and picture in your mind or just the worst storm that you've ever been in? Just a time that you were frightened, that you were scared. And of course, I know some people are more scared of storms than others, but probably all of us have been in a few storms that it was just kind of scary. Maybe you're out on the lake, maybe you were outside doing something, or maybe even you were in your house and you just felt like, are you really going to make it through this? Well, you know, life is like a storm sometimes. And sometimes it's like, we're moving along smoothly, things are great, then all of a sudden we're hit out of nowhere with something that seems like a hurricane. It could be a natural disaster, a death of a loved one, financial problems, sickness, family problems, whatever kind of problem. And I think everybody has these storms that test our faith. I think it's true that we're either in a storm We've just come out of a storm, or at some point we're heading into a storm. But the reality is, even beyond all of that, that right now we're in a worldwide storm. There, there's a common storm that's enveloping all of us. And really, one of the challenges with this COVID-19 storm is that it, for some people it can be kind of like a double storm. You're wrestling with that, you're dealing with that, but then you've got some personal storms going on in your own life that you're having to deal with at, at the same time. We've experienced that this year. I talked some in, in the last series about uh, we're walking through breast cancer with my wife, and thankfully she's uh, cancer-free right now, but because of uh, COVID-19, we're having to wait for her to have a light course of radiation that helps with uh, lessen the odds of it recurring in the future. But I know when we got the news after her second surgery that she was cancer-free, I mean, that was a relief. It was exciting. We were thanking the Lord for it. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, well, life's still upside down. It, I mean, it felt upside down from cancer, but now it feels upside down from the way the world is. And of course, at a time like that, your inclinations, you want to go celebrate with family and friends and Social di distancing uh, greatly limited that. So uh, it, it kind of felt like a, a double storm to us. And maybe that's what you feel like now. Well, we're going to look at a, an instance in the Gospels in Mark chapter 4, where there was a literal storm that was taking place that they had to deal with. But Jesus really brought the disciples to this place and through this storm to kind of create a, a spiritual test for them. 
And so I believe in a sense also it can be a metaphor for the storms that we experience in our lives. And so I want to give you a little background uh, of this passage and what's going on here to help us have a fuller understanding and appreciation of what's going on here. So uh, the gospel of Mark is a very fast-paced, action-oriented kind of gospel. Uh, I mean, this is a very loose analogy, but it's, it's kind of like the diehard of the Gospels. I mean, Mark's, you know, just action, miracles, that kind of thing. Uh, already, by the time you get to Mark chapter 4, there's several miracles that Jesus did that his disciples witnessed that are recorded here. But in, in chapter 4, the tone kind of switches, at least temporarily, and, and Jesus is in teaching mode. He's been teaching a, a great multitude in parables all day long. The disciples have been listening. And so as the disciples come to this storm, they have witnessed the Son of God doing miracles and heard the Son of God teaching the Word of God. But now they're about to take an exam on what they should have learned. Now, the actual event that we're going to read about here occurred on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I got to go to Israel one time a few years ago with my dad. And we got to be out on the Sea of Galilee, and it was uh, in the daytime on a beautiful sunny day, and it was a beautiful, awesome experience. Uh, But uh, that can change sometimes on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake located in the Jordan Valley with Mount Hermon uh, above. It's 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide. But it's only 150 feet deep at its lowest point. When you put all of that together, the practical effect becomes that a sudden storm can blow up and wind can whip violently down open places in the mountain range and actually create something of a funnel effect because of the shallowness of the water. There have actually been 10-foot high waves reported on the Sea of Galilee. And so even though... Uh, that at least four of these men were professional fishermen, there was enough of a storm that came up that scared even them. So that was what was going on just in the the literal physical setting. But remember, like I said, there's a spiritual lesson here because Jesus, we're going to see in this text, sent them to this storm. He gave them a command. He said, let us cross over to the other side. He knew what was coming. Like I said, this was kind of a spiritual exam for them. He was going to put them in a situation where there was a circumstance that was beyond their control, and he was going to see how they responded. In life, we often face situations that are beyond our control. In fact, I think if we're honest, one of the things that we wrestle with is we want to have control. We attempt to maintain this illusion of control in our lives, but really I think it's more of a mirage. We don't really have as much control as we think we do. I think a lot of times we're trying to create this sense of control that just to make ourselves feel better. So here's the thing. What do we really believe is in control? Do we really believe that we're in control of our own lives, our own fate, our own destiny? I think this is one of the key faith questions. Or do we believe that Jesus is in control? What are we actually trusting in? And then when things happen in life that show us that we're not actually in control, how are we going to respond to that? 
It doesn't seem like we're in control of a whole lot of what's going on in the world right now. And so I think the, the big idea of this story is that Jesus is actually the one who is in control, no matter what's going on, that Jesus can actually be the calm in the storm. So with that said, to kind of set this up and, and give us some background, let's read this text, Mark 4, 35 through 41, and, and we'll look at what actually happened. But as we go through this, I want us to in particular note three questions that are asked. The disciples asked Jesus a question, he asked them a question, and then they asked each other a question. And, and I think as we understand those questions and the responses, it will help us to get the spiritual lesson of this. It will help us to see that the issue is who Jesus is, that he's in control, and that he is ultimately the one who is the calm in the storm. So it says, on the same day, on the same day when he'd been doing this teaching all day with the multitude, I'm sure they're tired. Uh, obviously, we're tired because we're about to see that Jesus is going to go to sleep and be sleeping in this storm. It says, on the same day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And so Jesus told them to go. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. So apparently the crowds, at least some of them, those who had boats, still continued to follow them. And it says, and a great windstorm arose. And that's why I gave the background before. And it says, the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. It's a, it's a dangerous situation, a, a desperate situation, a, a fearful situation, even for these professional fishermen. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, and in my mind, I almost wonder if they had a tough time waking him up, if Jesus was so tired and at the same time so calm that he was just sleeping peacefully uh, through this storm. It makes me think about you know, trying uh, to wake up our teenage kids as we've had to struggle to do that at different times in, in, in their lives. I wonder if they kind of had to shake him or if they could wake him up easily. But anyway, here's the question they ask. They said, teacher... Do you not care that we are perishing? And so think about the question. Jesus was their friend. Jesus had chosen them. They had seen him do these incredible miracles. They had seen him heal people supernaturally. They'd heard him teach. They still asked, do you not care? And, and I think it's easy for us to look back and judge these disciples but if we're honest, don't we ask the same question or some form of that question a lot of times in our lives, even if we say that we have faith in Jesus? I mean, I'm guilty of sometimes wondering, God, do you care? God, are you here? Uh, God, do you really hear my prayers? God, what are you doing in this situation? God, I don't get it. Do you not care that we're perishing? Do you, do you ask some form of that question sometimes? Are you asking that maybe with some things that are going on in your life right now or what's going on in the world? Well, Jesus obviously cared because here's what he did. It said, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. It shows his power. It shows he's the Lord over nature because it says the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But then he challenges the disciples a little bit because the next verse says that he said to them, 
And here's the second question, or really two questions in one. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And that indicates that really fear and faith are opposites. In fact, Craig Rochelle says, fear shows where I trust God least. Fear shows where I trust God least. If we think about what we're really afraid of right now, if we're honest about it, that could be kind of a diagnostic, a revealer of what we're actually afraid of. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? In in other words, why aren't you trusting me? I'm here with you. You've seen what I can do. Why are you so afraid? If you would trust me, you wouldn't have to be gripped by so much fear. But then it says they feared exceedingly, and really this is a different kind of fear. This is more of a reverence of Jesus because they said to one another, and here's the third question, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And really this third question in some ways is the key question. I think if they maybe would have started with that question and and, and thought about and realized who Jesus is, if they would have remembered what they'd seen him do and what they'd heard him teach, remembered that he is the son of God and and just remembered how he cared for them, they wouldn't have had to say, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus wouldn't have had to have questioned them about their fear and their lack of faith. And so I believe that this is showing us that Really, any time, but particularly when we're going through storms, the key question is, who is Jesus? Because if we settle the question of who Jesus is, and we begin to trust him, then other things are going to fall in line in our lives. We're not going to have to be just, I mean, we're going to have fear sometimes. We're not going to be gripped. We're not going to be overcome by fear. Uh, We're not going to be fighting for this mirage of control because we're going to understand and be able to surrender to the fact that Jesus is in control. So who can this be? Who is this man, Jesus Christ? Well, let me answer that in four ways from this text. And I, and I hope that these will be you know, just things that we can hang on to, anchors, so to speak, since we're talking about a boat and a lake and a storm. Think of these as spiritual anchors that can anchor us down in the storms of life. So number one, I want you to see that this text shows us that Jesus is the person of God who is master over every storm. In in this event, in this story, we see that Jesus, we see his humanity because he was asleep in the boat, but we see his deity, we see that he's God because he had power to stop this storm. He's Lord over nature. And, And this is evidence that he's doing something that only God can do. This was actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Uh, Let's read a few verses from the 107th Psalm and just see Jesus fulfilling this, uh, showing that he's God, showing that he is the Messiah. So Psalm 107, starting verse 23 says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. 
They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end, which sounds like a pretty good description of the disciples here. But it says, Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. And that is exactly what Jesus did here. And he did this. He was able to do this because he is the Lord. He's God. He's Lord over nature. And he's master over every storm that's going on in our lives. And practically, what this meant to the disciples and what it can mean to us, the the spiritual lesson here, the practical lesson is that this meant that they had no reason ever again to be afraid for their Lord was in control of every situation. So the more that we believe that God is in control, the less we will be afraid. Now, let's be honest though. When we're in a storm, we tend to wrestle with whether or not Jesus is really in control. As I think back on many of the trials, many of the storms that I've been through in my life, I've I've wrestled with this. Um, You know, this most recent trial I referred to, as far as my wife being diagnosed with cancer. At the beginning, asking why, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, where's this coming from? You know, how can this be? Those kind of things. But I found peace when I submitted uh, to God and said, you know, I trust that you are sovereign. I don't know how to deal with life and all the problems of life without believing what the Bible says, that God is sovereign over every little thing, that there is nothing that he doesn't cause or allow to happen, that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that he is on the throne and that uh, he is working all things together for our good. I don't know how to deal with life apart from that. I believe he's master over every storm. Doesn't mean I understand everything, but I believe that God is good and he's working things for good. You know, to me, this is the only reason to pray. Sometimes people say, well, if God's in control of everything, why bother to pray? Well, in my mind, if God's not in control of everything, what's the reason to pray? If he doesn't have the power and and, and the authority to actually guide us and help us and make things happen, what's the point in praying? At the same time, when we pray, we have to trust him to do what's best, not just be our little genie in a bottle that's doing everything that we want him to do. See, that's our problem sometimes. That's our struggle is, uh, you know, we'll trust God to do what we want him to do instead of receiving what he actually has for us. And that's that moment of surrender in the storm, of believing that, that Jesus is God, that he's the master over the storm, and understanding that his plan may be different than our plan. And that leads me to the second truth that I want you to see, the second anchor that I want to give you from this text. And that is that Jesus has a plan for every storm. He has a plan for every storm. Now, why do I say this? Well, if you go back to verse 35, you see here what he said. He said, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. In other words, we're going to get to the other side. Now, he wasn't surprised by the storm, but he didn't tell them there was going to be a storm 
along the way. But if Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side, that means that he was going to get them to the other side. Listen, God's commands always include God's enabling. If he tells us to do something, he's going to make a way. Where God guides, he provides. This is why faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. The Lord has a plan for the world. And his plan ultimately is to glorify his name, reveal his son, Jesus Christ. He created us. We fell. uh, But he worked everything out to lead up to the cross, to lead up to Jesus coming in the fullness of time. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning. Someday he's going to come back and set everything right. And then we're going to enjoy him and he eternity forever and ever. This is the ultimate plan of God that he's working out for the universe. But you know what? He has a plan for your life as well. But if you want to understand the plan for your life, you know, sometimes we ask, what's God's will for my life? Really, the best question is, what is God's will? And God's will, God's ultimate plan is what I just shared. But the good news is, whatever his plan is for your life, it's intersecting with that ultimate plan. Listen, here's the thing. His plan is going to be fulfilled and we're safe until it is. See, when you're going through a storm, this is something that's good to know, especially in in, in the, the threat of a pandemic. I believe with all my heart that the Bible teaches that God's child is safe in God's will until God is finished with you. Sometimes people ask me, I've been to Honduras to do mission work about 40 times a dangerous country. You get scared. I'm like, until God's finished with me, I'm safe wherever I am. And when God's done with me, it doesn't matter where I am. I'm done. But you know what? God's ultimate plan is to bring me into his presence in heaven. So even in the storm of death, and God's not going to deliver us from that storm every time. Sooner or later, we're going to die. We're still safe because that storm is just taking us into the safe haven, into the port of his presence. Something else I want you to think about here is, uh, I just want to remind you that they were in a storm because of their obedience. Sometimes when we go through a storm, a trial, a difficulty, an adversity, we're like, and God must be mad at me, or what have I done wrong, or am, you know, am I sinning somehow? And sometimes people will tell you that, well, you must be in sin if you're having this problem. You must not have enough faith. But they were in a storm of obedience. They were in this storm because they got in the boat like Jesus told them to. There are storms of obedience, but let me remind you too, there are also storms of disobedience. Think about Jonah. Jonah ended up in a storm and got some other people in a storm because our sin affects other people because of his disobedience, because of running from God. He ended up in the belly of a whale because of his disobedience, but God in his grace used that as an instrument, as a means of salvation. That storm of disobedience was intended to be a wake-up call that brought repentance and brought Jonah back to God. Are you in a storm right now that's a storm of disobedience? Well, I want you to know even in the middle of that storm that God is gracious and it's intended to be a wake-up call that brings you back to him. You can repent and come home to the Father. 
You know, there's a, there's a phrase that, that I like to use that, that I believe is biblically true that when we talk about God's plan, and that is God's connecting the dots in our lives. He's working out his story. But the reality is we see the sovereignty of God not in advance. We see it in the rearview mirror. In, in the moment of that storm, it's hard to see anything. It may be dark and, and, and bleak and we're, we're being pelted uh, by, by the rain and we're uh, hiding from the lightning. But God is still working out his plan. You know, as I look back on my life, I think about, you know, the way I met my wife, uh, uh, we'll be married 30 years next month, was at a, a summer camp that I was working at uh, when I was in college. But the first time I went to that camp is when I was in middle school. Uh, I wasn't really supposed to be at that uh, camp then. Uh, kind of ended up being there because I got cheated out of uh, uh, something else in a way. And I won't go into all the details of, of the story. But once I went, I kept going. And then uh, she didn't know anybody at that camp. She came uh, to fill in for somebody. And something that seemed like a bad experience to me, is an experience where I was being treated unfairly, was part of a uh, step in a, in a process of where about seven years later, I actually ended up meeting my wife. You know, I, I think about uh, when we were going to go to seminary. We were going to go to one seminary, and last minute, we felt like, well, we're making a mistake. We need to go to somewhere else, and that was kind of uh, difficult, and, uh, you know, we kind of had to live in a family member's basement for a little while. We'd given up our jobs and our apartment and, 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 and that kind of thing, uh, but, you know, the seminary where I was at, I met somebody who actually introduced me uh, to the church that I pastored in Maryland before we came back to Tennessee, and I thought I was going to a church in Virginia, and then that kind of closed down at the last minute in a, in a difficult kind of experience. And there were some other churches that wanted me uh, to come and be their pastor and didn't feel like that's where God wanted us to be. But he took us to Maryland. Well, when we lived in Maryland, our second child was born. She was born with a very rare heart defect. She had to have open heart surgery when she was three days old. But uh, we were within an hour of Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C., which is really one of the few hospitals in the world uh, that could have treated her at that point in time. Some difficult experiences in God's plan led to us being exactly where we needed to be. In our lives, we've had so many examples uh, of that. You know, the ministry that we're involved in in Honduras, which has been one of the greatest blessings personally for me in my life ever, and one of the greatest ways that God has used our church, our partnership uh, with Communion Baptist Church, and just how that's really kind of exploded over the last few years, came out of a difficult experience of us having to uh, break off the partnership with our first partner church down there because they had gotten into serious doctrinal error, really apostasy, and weren't being honest with us about it. And that was really difficult. I mean, there was one year I had to go down there three times just to deal with that, even though I, because I couldn't go on one of our actual trips because I had uh, knee surgery. It came out of a trial, but God propelled us into what he had for us out of that trial because he had a plan. He's connecting the dots. He's sovereign. He's bringing things together for for good. He's working out his plan for his children's life that intersects with his plan for the world to make disciples of all the nations and that eventuates at his throne with all of those disciples giving him glory. Don't despair in a trial. Don't think God's forgotten you or your life is over. He has a plan. He's working out that plan. And it actually may be through the storm 
where you discover the plan and the purpose that God has for you. In fact, I would say that some of the storms you've been through are clues to how God wants to use you in the future. He doesn't waste these storms. Jesus is the person of God who's the master over every storm. He has a plan for every storm. But I want you to see, number three, that he's present with us in every storm. He was right there with the disciples. There's another instance in the Gospels where he was praying and a storm came up and he went and met them in the storm. He's present with us in every storm. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 tells us that he will never leave us or forsake us. We learned in the last series that, that Jesus is our great high priest who's been tempted in every way like as we are. And so he sympathizes with us. He suffers with us. He, he stays with us. He's God with us in our trials and temptations and difficulties. Even beyond that, when he ascended back to the Father, he sent his spirit who indwells us. And so whatever we're going through, even in the trials of life, God's spirit is the presence of God within us. He's never going to leave you or forsake you no matter what you're going through if you're a child of God. Listen, if you're not a child of God, though, you're separated from God by your sins. And I would encourage you to repent and trust Jesus, surrender your life to him, not just so you can be present with God in, in eternity in heaven, but so that he'll always be present with you now and you don't have to face life alone. And, you know, something that, that I can attest to is through these trials, Jesus has never forsaken me. When my three-year-old daughter was having heart surgery, I sensed the presence of God. A few weeks ago, when my wife was having a lumpectomy, and nobody could be there with me because of the uh, new hospital rules with COVID-19, Jesus was with me. I sensed his presence. He's present with us in every storm. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. Number four. I want us to see that he has power over every storm. It, it, it was demonstrated here when he said, peace be still. And there was a great calm. He has the power to end storms. Sometimes that's what he does. Sometimes he, he answers prayers and, and when we ask him to end the storm. Sometimes he works miracles. Sometimes he fixes things. But I want you to know that he will always, if we'll let him, end the storm in us. He'll always speak peace, be still over our hearts by his spirit. Sometimes he chooses not to end the storm, at least in the way that we want. But he is working all things together for good for his children. And even in the storm of death, he is the resurrection and the life. And because of him, we'll never really ultimately die. Let me tell you a story from history, church history, to illustrate this. This was published in the Moody Monthly Magazine in the early 1900s. Uh, Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, was one of the most famous evangelists uh, ever. Uh, he was kind of like the Billy Graham of his day. And uh, his worship leader was a man uh, by the name of Iris Sankey. And uh, really, they were, in, in some sense, celebrities. I mean, they were internationally known. And... Um, 
Mr. Sankey has told the story of in 1876, he was traveling on a steamboat up the Delaware River on Christmas Eve. And uh, some of the people on, on board uh, the boat recognized him, and uh, they asked him to sing. And uh, you know how it is, Christmas Eve, and if you're traveling, people kind of tend to be friendlier with uh, one another, kind of congregate together more, and you know, people maybe in a festive mood, and it kind of makes sense for someone like him to sing. So uh, he agreed to do this, and uh, people asked him to sing a Christmas song, but a different song just was on his heart. And so he, he began to sing this old hymn, Savior like a shepherd lead us. Much we need thy tender care. And thy pleasant pastures feed us for our use thy folds uh, prepare. And so, uh, you know, everybody's listening is this beautiful melody. Uh, I'm not going to sing it to you because it wouldn't be a beautiful melody coming from me. But uh, as, as he's singing, you know, it's kind of floating over the water and everyone's listening and he, he finishes the song. Uh, but then after that, uh, an individual man kind of stepped forward and began to talk to him. And he asked Iris Sankey if he had ever served in the Union Army. And he said, yes, the, he did. And he asked him if he ever remembered doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862. He said, yes, I do, kind of surprised. And he said, were you? And the man cut him off and said, I did too, but I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I said to myself, that fellow will never get away from here alive. I raised my musket and took aim. I was in the shadow, completely hidden while you walked in full moonlight. At that instant, you began to, sing, began to sing, just as a moment ago, the same song, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. The music reached my heart. I took my finger off the trigger and said, well, I'll wait till the end of the song. I can't miss him. I can shoot him at the end of the song. And then as you sang, though, and you reached the place where it says, we are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. He says, I could hear every word perfectly, and childhood memories uh, came back to me. And I thought of my mom, and she was a godly lady, and she prayed for me and talked to me. And uh, she had sung that song to me many times, but she was dead then. And he said, at the end of the song, I could not raise my musket again. It was impossible for me to take aim, though you stood still in the bright moonlight, a perfect target. And then I thought of the Lord, and I looked at you and thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. Just now when you were about to sing and stood quietly as if praying, I recognized you. I've wandered far and wide since that other occasion. I've never found that shepherd. Please help me now find a cure for my sick soul. And on that night, Iris Sankey led this man who spared his life to a saving uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. God has a plan, a purpose. He's present with us. He has the power to overcome, the power to stop our storms. So what does this mean to us? Well, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you believe is in control? Are you letting him be in control of your life? Or are you trying to control it? What, what are you trusting in? 
Do you believe that Jesus is God who's the master over every storm? Do you believe that he has a plan for you? Are you seeking him in that plan? Do you believe he's present with you? Are you looking to him to comfort you? Do you believe he has the power over your storms? Are you calling on his name, asking for, your help, asking for his help, asking for his intervention in your situation? Let me close with this. Um, some of you know this, some of you don't, but we have, we have a counselor on staff at church. Her name's Dr. Lori Arwood, and uh, the Arwoods are some of our best friends. And she sent me a text on Friday morning and uh, just said that she wrote this to herself during her study and prayer time. And she felt like God prompted her to send it to me without knowing uh, what I was going to be preaching on as we record this. And um, I, just, I felt like that, that I should share it with you as it came from her heart, as God spoke to her, as she's wrestling with things. And, you know, somebody's a Christian counselor, somebody's a pastor. Uh, sometimes people kind of almost seems like they, well, we're robots. We're supposed to be impervious to what's going on around us. But we have to wrestle with our doubts and our fears and our worries and our anxiety. And so she wrote this. She said, fear is a liar. Fear pulls us to the worst. Fear always pulls us away from God unless we intentionally make it push us to him. Fear drags us into the raging storm to be tossed and beaten. It's okay and normal in these anything but normal times to have moments when you feel overwhelmed, when you wonder if anything will ever be the same again, to have concern over money, the people you love, jobs, the change in schedule, your health, the unknown, the monotony. But let it push you to Jesus don't let this storm of uncertainty allow fear to lie to you about who your peace, protection, security, hope, and provision come from. Trust in Jesus. He will never leave you, forsake you, abandon you. You're never too much or too little for him. He is never overwhelmed by you or the storm. He is never unprepared for the circumstances you're facing. Let his word comfort you. Let worship of his name strengthen you. Let his righteous right hand hold you. Anchor yourself to him so you cannot be pulled away to be engulfed in fear, panic, and your own thoughts and reasoning. Let him be your shelter, your refuge, your very present help in time of need. You serve the storm maker, the storm breaker, the storm silencer, the storm shelter. Even the winds and waves obey him. Trust in who he is. Because he is the person of God who's the master over every storm. He has a plan for our storms. He's present with us in our storms. And he has power over our storms. Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him with the storms that are going on in your life?